day nine of the 2023 African Cup of Nations Diaries. Another three matches today, and today was the final match day of, uh, sorry, the final day of match day two. So as of tomorrow, we start match day three, and we're going to start having four matches per day, which is going to be very difficult to keep track of. But we're getting to the good part of the tournament now. So today we had Morocco versus DRC. That was the first match. We had Tanzania versus Zambia in the second match and South Africa versus Namibia in the third and final match. Let's talk about Morocco and DRC, two of the, the top sides in Group F. Um, I think this was the match that everybody was looking forward to. You know, Morocco, before this match, considered by far uh, one of the favorites of this tournament alongside Senegal um, and Cape Verde. They've, those three have been the best teams thus far. Um, and when they started the match, I think Morocco looked sharp. I think we expected a continuation of the kind of form that they showed against Tanzania, who, to be fair or not, didn't look like they were interested in, in taking the game to Morocco and uh, and looked quite poor. So Morocco looked sharp. They, they have a, a goal-scoring chance within the first couple of minutes through Yusuf in the city, who was a little bit clumsy throughout the match, actually, and probably messed up four or five goal-scoring chances. Um, and that's a bad omen for things to come. Because Yusuf Nasir, remember, great closing down defenders, great in the air. But if you need him to create his own goal, if you need him to be tidy in front of goal, you know, there's... In this African Cup of Nations, of all the strikers, he's going to be on the lower rung of strikers that I have confidence in if he's on a breakaway, just him and the goalkeeper, 30 yards away, and he's bearing down on the goalkeeper. I just think he's a little too clumsy for that. Anyways, he has a quick chance in the opening uh, few minutes. Uh, Ashraf Hakimi opens the scoring in the seventh minute off of a set piece. And remember, one of our doubts about Morocco prior to this tournament was their ability to break down teams in open play. But what they've done a fantastic job of in this tournament is breaking down teams from set pieces and free kicks and crosses. So, uh, yeah, that was that was a great corner kick in by uh, Hakim Ziyech. Ashraf Hakimi goes in behind Gael Kakuda, who is, you know... Uh, did a horrible job of man marking and Hakimi slots the ball in beautifully with great technique. And I thought for the first really 30 minutes, Morocco looked like they were the dominant side and they deserved their lead by far. I thought they were the much, much better side. But the game sort of switches on its head towards the end of the first half um, and it comes through set pieces, really. Morocco take good set pieces, but they weren't defending set pieces or aerial balls quite well at all. And uh, DRC win one, win a penalty kick uh, through through a, a free kick that you know was poorly defended by Morocco. Salim Amalah goes up with his arm, and I'm not sure if he touched the ball with his hand or if he just got caught elbowing a Congolese player. But they they get a penalty kick. Cedric Bakambu steps up, misses his penalty kick in the 37th minute, I believe, and he looked scared. And Cedric Bakambu is one of those players. I'm, I'm writing in my article that's going to be published today on AfricasAcountry.com. That has a stellar club career, but with his national team at the AFCON, doesn't really step up. Even towards the, you know, the, the, the end of the first half, DRC have a few more chances in the air. In the second half, Morocco take uh, quick control just for a few minutes, and then the rest of the second half is all DR Congo. All DR Congo. And we haven't seen, I think, Morocco dominated like this at this tournament, and uh, for a few matches for sure. Um... Mohamed Shibi, the, the left back, who I think is, he's actually a right back. And I've watched him and I think, I think he's actually a good player. Um, my impression of him was mostly positive. He plays for Pyramids FC. I've watched him live this year in Algiers at the CAF Confederation Cup. 
But he's deputizing as a left back. He's usually a right back. Yusuf, uh, sorry, Nusayr Mazarawi is injured. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's Allah was injured. So they, they, they're deputizing with Mohamed Shibi. And he makes a few crucial mistakes in this match. He gave away the free kick that DR Congo got the penalty from. And uh, for the goal, Mohamed Shibi gets sucked up. Chancel Mbamba's carrying the ball from defense. And to be fair to him and to be fair to the Moroccan defense, I don't think any of us were expecting a flick of the outside of the boot for Chancel Mbamba, which he does as a center half. Beautiful technique, like Luka Modric. Finds Elia Meshek, and Elia Meshek crosses a low cross, and um, it gets tapped in by Silas Katompa. Uh, DRC equalize. And for the rest of the game, DRC are on the front foot, and they nearly equalize again. Or sorry, they nearly take the lead and win this match. So, what are the things that we can draw from from that kind of gameplay? First of all, in the post-match press conference, Coach Walidur Gragi is talking about trying to, fi to find a justification for why his side were so good in the first half and so poor in the second half. He talked about mentality, he talked about heat, fatigue, humidity, momentum. He said it was probably a combination of all of those things. I don't think Moroccan fans want to hear the heat and humidity excuse because... The heat and humidity is tough on everybody. Most 90% of the players are playing in Europe on both sides. Um, you know, nobody's playing in, in the Ivorian League or in the <laughs> Equatorial Africa where, where this kind of humidity uh, prevails at this time of the year. But I do think, it's a, it, I do think it's, a, it's a factor. It's a factor, but it's not an excuse. If you take it as an excuse, it's problematic. But we can analyze it and say, yes, this is a factor. And I do think it is a factor, but it's not an excuse. Mohamed Shibi, uh, I think that's Shibi is. The, I think that's the last time he he starts a match for Morocco at this Afcon. I think they're going to go back to Atiyatullah or, or Mazarawi. Now that well, at least one of them should be fit, so um, his individual mistakes uh, should be cut out in the future. Although, you know, even Roman Saiz, even uh, Naif Agard made a few different mistakes as well. So it wasn't just him that was making mistakes today. I don't want to make him a scapegoat, but he did have some some bad individual mistakes. Yeah, defending set pieces is a big problem for Morocco, and I'm going to be interested to see how that progresses during the tournament. I'm assuming, look, if I can notice it and other people can notice it, I'm assuming Walid Regragi can notice it, and they're going to work on that and get that fixed. Um, and so I think, yeah, overall, I think Morocco, from what I've seen in the first half, they're still a great side, obviously. They're still one of my favorites in this tournament. But I don't think they answered some of the questions I have prior to the tournament about what happens when they have more possession of the ball, like they did, you know, in this match. What happens when they need to break down an opposing team from open play? What happens when Yusuf Hassan and Nasiri needs to score goals? I don't think those questions are answered yet. I, I thought they were at the, after the first match against Tanzania, but that's weak opposition. And then when I watched them for the first 30 to 40 minutes, I thought, you know what? Maybe I was wrong about them. But I don't feel like I'm wrong yet. I hope I'm going to be proven wrong for, for Moroccan people's sake, but I, I don't think I'm wrong yet. I think there are still some questions to be answered from this side. But overall, I mean, they have four points. They're through to the second round, um, most likely. I mean, it would take a miracle for them to be eliminated now. And I think they're going to be okay with that. You know, they're still undefeated. They still take confidence from that. Finally, uh, there was an incident that happened towards the end of the match that I think we need to talk about. Um, it seemed like Sean Salambamba, prior to the final whistle, was talking to the Moroccan bench for a few different things. I don't know if he was talking about VAR. 
he seemed to be having a heated argument or discussion with the Moroccan bench. Uh, so after the final whistle, Chan Bamba was praying. You know, I'm assuming he does that after every match, pointing towards the sky and praying. The Moroccan coach, Walid Regragi, goes to him. And he has some choice words for him. And I'm assuming that this has to do with Mbamba barking to, you know, the Moroccan uh, bench throughout the match. Rugragi shakes his hand and he doesn't want to let go of Mbamba's hand. And he's yelling at him and, and he's talking to him in a heated, passionate manner. Mbamba doesn't like that and he's responding. He finally pulls his hand away, grabs his hand saying, why are you grabbing my hand? Na, 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 na. And it's just, you know how it is in footballers and football players, you know, after matches and adrenaline, and they start arguing back and forth and back and forth. And it should have just, you know, it should have just dissipated. Mbemba is like a really nice, wise guy. Rigregi is like one of the, probably the better people in African football at the moment. They could have just easily went their separate ways. But no, football players have to be tough. They have to get into Amelia. Oh, you talk to my coach like that? And it just gets into like this stupid, stupid, you know, scrum. And... Mbemba walks off the pitch and a Moroccan player, I don't know exactly who it was, it might have been in the city, but I'm not 100% sure, runs after him and apparently things carried on into the tunnel. Look, post-match with Adrian Greggy said maybe it was just the adrenaline, I don't have a problem with Mbemba, you know, maybe it was the heat, you know, we, things just got heated, but there's no issue between us. Mbemba, however, in the mix zone, said, I'm not going to say what was said between us, but I didn't think that the Moroccan coach would use that word. And he refused, absolutely refused to say what word it was or, or what exactly was said. Some people online believe that there might be racism involved. And there was racism involved in this event, but it didn't, probably didn't come from Walid Regragi. Online on Chen Salambamba's uh, Instagram profile, you know, uh, monkey emojis, uh, poop emojis, you know, like the usual mouth-breathing, you know, reactions and, and actions from people uh, with racist tendencies. And you know how it is. It's always on Instagram with, you know, faceless, nameless profiles with, like, 10 digits in their thing and people that will never actually speak with, uh, you know, with their chest. But it, black players are, unfortunately, uh, around the world, not just uh, on the African continent. Black players around the world are, are, unfortunately, you know, they have to deal with racism at times when... Uh, whenever they didn't even I was gonna say when they performed badly but in his case it was just when he got into a, an argument with an opposing coach anyways going back to what Mbemba said in the mix zone I think some people online interpreted that to be racism it doesn't that doesn't like register in my head just no hearing Walid Regragi speak over the last three years seeing what kind of person he is I don't think anybody that knows him or that has been paying attention to him it's not like no impossible i think maybe he could have like it's possible look he's a fiery character right like especially in the in the midst of competition i think he could have insulted him i think he could have called him like i don't know excuse my language i don't want to get <laughs> first time i talk like this on youtube maybe he called him a bastard maybe he called him an idiot i think maybe that's that's probably like that's not out of the realm of possibility but for it to be a racist insult I'm willing to bet my house, I don't own a house, but I'm willing to bet my house on the fact that Walid Regragi probably didn't insult Chancellor Mbemba with a racial insult. I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain of it. And that's not even with me uh, knowing uh, him. Anyways, uh, moving on to the second match of the day, Tanzania versus Zambia. This is a match that I only had, you know, my eye on for a little bit. Uh, it was the first 
match for interim coach Hamed Morocco. And I think the overall consensus, the summary here, is that Tanzania looked like a better side with him than with Adel Amrush. Adel Amrush... Look, for, what you have to understand about Adel Amrush is that he's a, he's a character. He is somebody that is headstrong, is not scared of anybody, very direct, and at times that can galvanize a group and get them behind you, and at times I think that can separate a group. And from what I know from the Tanzanian national team, apparently, apparently, uh, Adel Amrush lost the locker room, especially, especially with star players like Mbwana Samata, Simon Msuva, Hamid Mao, players like that. Mbwana Samata, the iconic player for Tanzania, was not even called up to this African Cup of Nations by Adel Amrush in the first list that he sent over to CAF. It was only really with the intervention of the Federation and with other people that are influential around this national team that Mbwana Samata was called up uh, at the last minute, really. Um, and so, again, he's not scared of making brave decisions, like calling up like some non-league players from, from England to play in this national team. But you, when you lose influential players, you can lose the locker room. And I think that's what happened here with... Especially when you don't get the results that go your way. You know, if you do that and you get the results that go your way, people are going to follow you. But, you know, when they lost to Morocco uh, in such a a poor fashion, I think he lost some of the, the locker room. So anyways, Adel Amrush was suspended by CAF, fired by the Tanzanian Federation. Tanzania, I thought, looked good out of possession in, in terms of their structure. Um, and actually, the goal comes from Samata and from Msuva. So two players that were sort of discarded by Adel Amrush. Um, and they, they took a lead at the beginning, but Zambia clawed their way back in. Zambia, I thought, looked really... It's the same thing for Zambia every single time. You know, their, their front three are so, so talented. I thought Patsendaka missed a few chances, a little bit sloppy from what I saw. But overall, um, I think a 1-1 draw was probably a fair result. I think Tanzania are heartened by it. They're not eliminated from this competition yet. And Zambia now have uh, two points and everything rests on the fact everything rests on if they can either get at least get a draw against Morocco or if they could shock the world and maybe grab three points and finally the last day of the match the last game of the match was South Africa versus Namibia South Africa line up with 8.5 sundowns players so eight sundowns players plus Percy Tau and on the continent sometimes we talk you know as journalists say man why don't, why don't South Africa just line up <laughs> line up the sundowns 11 and Naturalized Peter Shalulile or whatever, but that wouldn't work today because they're playing against Namibia. But honestly, I think it could work, you know, like sundowns the, the you could see even today the passing patterns, the chemistry that the players have between one another. It was so smooth. And Tembazwane, what a fantastic player. He has a brace in this game and he was really the man of the match and the technical leader uh, alongside Tao. Tao, by the way, scores the first goal, which is a penalty kick, and redeems himself after missing a penalty kick against Mali. And Temba Zwane, what I like about Zwane in particular, I think they call him Shishi in South Africa, he's one of those attacking midfielders that his running is one of his weapons, you know? It's kind of like Ross Barkley, uh, maybe like a young Frank Lampard as well. His, his movement is an asset. You know, it's not just like his passing. It's not just his creativity, his movement as well. And I think that's something that can be very, very valuable, even though he's 34 years old, but his legs are fresh. Uh, 
so yeah, I thought South Africa looked fantastic. 4-0 is, is a great scoreline. First time any team scores four goals in the African Cup of Nations. And um, yeah, uh, when they played against Mali, I think it was Hamari Traore, the, the Mali captain, that he said, this South African team is going to get out of the group. They're really good. They're going to win matches, even though Mali beat South Africa 2-0. I think people are recognizing that they play quality football. They play good possession football. And uh, if they can continue to score goals like this, they can go deep in this competition. So I said it two, three months ago. I said, Bafana are back. And then I cursed them. Uh, they, lie and they end up losing to Rwanda and obviously obscure weird circumstances. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Bafana are back. South Africa, I'm sorry if I curse you again. And <laughs> if you lose your final match of, of the group stages uh, against Tunisia, which is a possibility. But I'm going to say it again. I think Bafana are back. Uh, I hope it's not too premature. That's it. I'll leave it here for tonight. It's going to be a shorter uh, AFCON diary. i got a few things to do tonight for uh, the last match day of the group stages of the AFCON kicks off tomorrow. Thank you for listening and good evening.